It is wonderful that we get to begin another year, set the course for our mission here at Grace Baptist Church. Aren't you glad it's not over? Amen? And we'll, the only way that we want it to be over is for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. Until then, we have a job to do. We have a job to do. And the Bible makes it very clear what that job is. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, so much that we don't have to go through life without a rudder. Lord, that you have given us instruction. We understand our purpose. We understand our mission. So, Father, help us today to focus on that in the context of this passage and then understanding what's going on in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you understand that we live in a world that is opposed to biblical Christianity? Right? That, that's where we are. So what are we supposed to do in the middle of this culture? How are we going to fulfill the mission that God has given us? Well, I think the first thing that we need to understand is what's going on in the world so we can know what we're supposed to do in it. What's going on? Well, we all have a worldview. That is, there's a, there's a prism that we look through. So when we look at something, we understand what beauty is. We understand what is right. We understand what is wrong. We have a, we have a worldview. And of course, our, our nation was founded on what is called the Judeo-Christian ethic. So just some foundational truths. God exists. And we have been endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of you would agree that that's what we're founded on? All right, so there's a foundational principle, and that is the belief in God who is the Creator. And as the Creator, He has given those in His creation certain rights. That's foundational. That's where we start. That's something that we believe in as a people. The only problem is we no longer believe that as a people. You see... Our worldview, the worldview that unless you're a guest here and we're not sure where you are on those things, you're not sure where we are, let me tell you where we are. We have a biblical worldview. We believe every word of God is pure. The Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning. And that's what we believe here. And so our worldview is this. We take off the world's glasses... We no longer see things through the way the world does. And we put on biblical glasses so that we see everything through the lens of Scripture. Is that right? Our worldview informs our view of beauty. Our view of beauty. Uh, in the news, some of you saw in the news that Kate Middleton's portrait is uh, being criticized because it, she, she's not pretty in the portrait. How many of you saw that on the news? Any of you see that? And they were right. She doesn't look particularly pretty in the picture because he was trying to give her an enigmatic smile, kind of like the Mona Lisa. Now, I think the Mona Lisa's great art, but I've never thought that she was a babe. <laughs> you know what I mean? How many, seriously, guys, how many of you agree with me on this? Right? So here's the idea. How many of you have heard this? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. 
There is some truth to that, but there are some things that are beautiful and other things that are just ugly. And we can all understand that, and I think that we can all pretty much appreciate that. Of course, we live in a culture now, and like there are certain hairstyles. I call these hairstyles, I am pretty but want to be ugly hairstyles. You all know what I'm talking about? These, the, pe- don't shake your head at me, Andrea. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Not that you have one of those, but it, we live in a culture where beauty is being assaulted and, you know, people mark themselves and cut themselves and pierce themselves and, you know, hair, 15 different shades of color, all things to change a perspective of beauty. But honestly, you still can't change it. You can't change it. The grunge chick wasn't the one pointed out in the football game on Monday. Everybody's getting real quiet. <laughs> Pastor's going some places he probably shouldn't go today. <laughs> well, it's just true that we understand classic beauty. And yet, we also understand that we have a culture that's trying to change our perspective of those things. That's very clear. That's where we are. We have a worldview. All of us have a worldview. Whether you choose to or not, you have a worldview. It's the way that you look at the world. As believers, our desire is to have a biblical worldview. But the reality is sometimes we don't understand how we have been influenced by a false worldview. And that's why God gave us His unchanging Word. So however the world's view changes, the worldview of God stays the same. And what is God's view of the world? All that is in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is not of God. That's what the Bible says. So our worldview needs to be, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, my treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We have to be like those in Hebrews who had here no continuing city. We don't bow toward Jerusalem. We don't bow toward Mecca. We don't bow, we certainly don't bow toward Washington. Is that right? We look to our Savior who is returning. That's our worldview. And yet, that being our worldview, we are so influenced by that which is around us. So, uh, I I, I talked about some of this introductory material on a Wednesday night recently, but I want to give it to all of you. There are three stages to a worldview. Three stages to a worldview. First, it demands to be heard. First, it demands to be heard. Then it demands to be equal. And then it demands to be exclusive. All right? It demands to be heard, it demands to be equal, and it demands to be exclusive. Let's use gay rights as an example. All right? First thing is they wanted to be heard. So you have gay rights parades. You have, uh, the, you have a magazine called The Advocate. And you have people go- trying to bring legislation and going through the courts. And they j- we just need a voice. We just need a voice. Remember that? And then they demand to be equal. Equal rights. Equal rights. How are they going to have equal rights? By redefining what marriage is. So, uh, I've never been interviewed. Well, I was interviewed once, but it was by someone who has our point of view. But I've never really been interviewed. I would love to be interviewed. What do you 
believe about gay rights? I mean, what do you believe about gay marriage? What do you believe about gay marriage? I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. What do you believe about gay... Well, I think every marriage ought to be happy. Well, that, that, that's not what I mean. What, what, okay, what do you mean? Well, what do you think about homosexual marriage? Well, there's no such thing. It's like asking me, what do I think about dry water? <laughs> marriage is the union under God between a man and a woman for life. That's what marriage is. So if you want to ask me what I believe about homosexual unions, homosexuality, you want to ask me about any of those things, that's fine. I'm sorry, I simply don't understand your question. What do you mean about gay marriage? Because there's nothing happy about it. So now, here's what's happened. Now gay marriage is legal. Sodomite marriage is the, the technical term. Sodomite marriage is legal in nine states in the United States of America. That's where we are. And soon it will be against the law to speak out against it. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Louis Giglio, he's a pastor. He's an evangelical, new evangelical pastor. He would not be someone that we would necessarily agree with on a lot of things. But he, because his church has given $3 million to combat human trafficking, he was asked to give the prayer at the inauguration of the president this year. How many of you have seen this in the news? Okay. But several years ago, and it's 20 years ago, 20 years ago he preached a sermon against homosexuality. It's been 20 years? Now remember, these are the people that are, in, that are interested in being relevant. How many of you think that it would be relevant to speak about these sodomite issues today? But 20 years ago, they found a sermon about it. And now I'm glad he did it 20 years ago. I wish he would do it again. But he said this. This is from Lawrence O'Donnell, an MSNBC uh, commentator. He has a, a show on MSNBC. And he said this. It turns out there is no better way for a pastor to get kicked out of the inauguration ceremony than quoting the Bible. That is what Louis Giglio of Passion City Church in Atlanta did to get knocked out of this year's inauguration. His participation was announced at 9 a.m. on Tuesday by the Presidential Inaugural Committee. It took all of a day for something to surface in Giglio's sermonizing past that made him persona non grata at the swearing-in of a president who is in favor of gay rights, including marriage equality. It turns out... Now, this is a quote again from O'Donnell. It, the, the truth is that homosexual... Uh, this is um, O'Donnell... This is a statement that he made on television. The truth is that homosexuality is a sin in the Bible. O'Donnell added, noting that Giglio's sermon cited Leviticus 18.22 and 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, which warn against committing sexual immorality. We will, this is quoting, we will ensure that whoever delivers the benediction rejects the same part of the Bible that President Obama rejects and most Democrats reject, even though every word of the Bible is the word of God, O'Donnell said. This is not a Baptist preacher who's saying this. This is 
a far-left... O'Donnell calls himself, even though he was raised in America, he calls himself a European socialist. So this is, this is Lawrence O'Donnell. And, of course, you have to be a European socialist to have a show on MSNBC. You all understand that, okay? It's a job requirement. Now, so this is him saying it. Now, here's what he says. As I've pointed out, listen, no one accepts all the teachings of the Bible. No one. Still, the president, following one of our most absurdist traditions in the government that invented the separation of church and state, will put his hand on a book filled with things he does not believe, filled with things that no one in the United States of America believes. And with his hand on this book, he will recite the oath of office. He says this, Now, wouldn't it be better if the president's hand was on the shoulder of one of his daughters, suggesting that he was honoring the oath of office as much as he honors Sasha and Malia? Is that how you say her name? Malia? Now, do you see how how just, just outrageous these people are? How many of you believe the Bible? How many of you believe every word of the Bible? Apparently, you're not Americans. No one in the, in the United States believes every word of the Bible. That's what, that's what O'Donnell just said on national television. That's what he believes. But what he said about the president is true. You can't, it's just true. He does not believe the Bible, and yet he's going to put his hand on the Bible. And the reason that he can't put his hand on one of his daughters is because if she had been inconvenient as a baby, he would have killed her. Pastor, what are you talking about? We're talking about a worldview. We're talking about a world that has turned everything upside down. There was a song years ago about living life upside down. Save the whales, kill the babies. It's just everything's crazy. Everything's turned around. And so a worldview, three stages of a worldview. First, it demands to be heard. Second, it demands to be equal. And third, it demands to be exclusive. So if a preacher believes what the Bible says about the sodomite lifestyle, he cannot be allowed to pray at the inauguration. Stages of a worldview. So there are three stages to a worldview. It demands to be heard, it demands to be equal, and it demands to be exclusive. So what is the modern worldview? What is the current worldview? Number one, there are no absolutes. We've heard that, right? There are no absolutes. There are absolutely no absolutes. That's one of those dry water things again, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Then, here's the second one. So first one, there are no absolutes. Second part of a modern worldview is America must be pluralistic. Pluralistic. What's the definition of pluralistic? A theory that there are more than one... Uh, a theory that there are more than one or more than two kinds of ultimate reality. All right? That's pluralism. How many of you have a hard time getting your head around that? That's because it's not reality. You see, that's, another, that's an alternate form of reality. Y'all get that? So here's the idea. It's very clear. How many of you believe that you can borrow money to get out of debt? Anybody believe that? <laughs> and, and about 51% of the United States of America that voted for him. He's not exclusive in that thinking. 
Is that right? That, that's where we are. What is that? That's an alternate reality. That's an alternate reality. Uh, here's the way that it, th- this would be the idea. Anthony, come up and help me here. Don't worry, I'm not going to put anything on you today. All right? All right. This, this is the idea. Anthony lives in a house. All right? Is that true? Yes. All right. You sure? Okay. Anthony lives in a house. That's a reality. Now, what if I say, Anthony, do you live in a house? Yes. Yes, okay. But I believe Anthony doesn't live in a house. Carol went like this. Okay. But that's the response of the world. That is, she, she has been in the world so long, she's been influenced by the world that his, her, her response is worldly. Okay, whatever. Whatever you want to believe. That's all right. But here's, the, here's, where plural, here's, here's where a pluralism comes in. This pluralistic understanding comes in. That my truth is just as true as his truth. Can both of those statements be true? No. That violates the law of non-contradiction. Thank you. Ravi Zacharias said it this way when he was talking about the law of non-contradiction. Because in the East, what they says in the West, it's this or that. You can believe in this or that. In the East, as in India, you can believe in this and that. And, of course, that type of thinking has come to America. You can believe in this and that. He said, but even in India, we look both ways before we cross the street because it's either the bus or me. It can't be both at the same time. Is that right? So, but that's the problem. We live in a pluralistic society, and the way that comes into, into play is this. Newt Gingrich on the news this week, I was watching him, I think it was on Greta Van Susteren. He said that I am completely against gay marriage. I am against it because I'm a Christian and the Bible is against it. But nine states have approved it, so we've got to find a new way to look at that among the Republicans. What, what new way is there to look at it? And so if we are going to legislate according to that which is true, then our statement must be that gay marriage does not exist. So we cannot sanction something that doesn't exist. Is that right? It'd be like passing laws against aliens. Yes, that'd be discriminatory. Especially if they're illegal aliens. <laughs> but <laughs> someone here might be thinking, this is just a political speech. No. We're talking about reality. We're talking about worldviews playing themselves out in our culture. That's where we are. Pluralism. So we're describing our culture. We're describing the modern worldview. Number one, relativism. All right, there are no absolutes. Number two, pluralism. That is, that your truth is just as valid as my truth. That's true for you. Here's the way that girls say it. Do you like my dress? And here's the way that the girl would say it. Well, it looks good on you. <laughs> In other words, I hate that thing and I'd never wear it. Right? That, that's the same way it is for... Now, you look, girls, how many of you girls have ever said something like that? It's true, isn't it? Yes, yes. So here's how that works in... Here's how this works in morality. Newt Gingrich says, I am against gay marriage. But the political reality is we've got to vote for it. 
What are those truths? There's a truth that's missing there, isn't it? All right. So that's that's pluralism. And then number three, given propositions one and two, that is uh, no absolutes and pluralism, we must be tolerant of diversity in America. Tolerant of diversity in America. All right? Diversity. So what is diversity? Diversity is celebrating our differences. Have anybody heard that? Let's celebrate our differences. When's the last time, when's the last time a biblical worldview was celebrated in America? We can celebrate every difference except that. Those people. The extremists. Now you understand that the way that the world handles people like us is they marginalize us by deeming us extreme. So now what we do is we will try to demonstrate that we are actually mainstream. We're not really extreme. We're mainstream. How many of you have heard someone try to do that? Almost everybody in America is conservative. Really? Really? So what happens? What happens is we are considered extreme and the conversation moves. The conversation moves away from what is true to what is extreme. So our question is not, is it extreme? The question is, is it true? Because how many of you understand that saying marriage is between a man and a woman for life? How many of you understand that that's extreme today? How about this, that a physical relationship between a man and a woman outside of marriage is sin, it's wrong, and it's shameful. How many of you understand that's an extreme position today? That's an extreme position. So the question is not, is it extreme? The question is, is it right? And so we need to stop looking for acceptance in the culture and simply stand for the truth. Because truth has been lost. It's gone. So, we said there are three stages to a worldview. It demands to be heard, it demands to be equal, and it demands to be exclusive. We said that the modern worldview has three components to it. Number one, there are no absolutes. Number two, we must be pluralistic. Number three, given principles one and two, we've got to accept everybody. So now, there are three stages to a worldview shift. Three stages to a worldview shift. How many of you understand that the, that the view of the world, that the way the world looks at reality has changed, at least in Western culture? Is that right? It's changed. So what are these? Well, we begin with the traditional, that which is normal, traditional. Then we move to the transitional. You've got to change away from the traditional to the transitional. And now you end up with the transformative, something that's been transformed. It's no longer what it was. Traditional worldview is this. Marriage is between a man and a woman, right? A lady is to keep herself pure. A young man is to respect a young lady. They're to obey their parents, and authority is to be righteous. How many of you understand that's a traditional worldview? Is that right? That's traditional. There is a God. We are accountable to Him regardless of your theological system within Christianity. The standard worldview in America was there is a God. We are accountable to Him. A marriage is between a man and a woman. Children are to obey their parents. And we're to respect authority because authority is expected to be righteous. That's traditional. So what's the transitional? 
What changed? Well, when God was removed from the schools, the 1940s, right? This whole concept of separation of church and state, which we as Baptists believe in separation of church and state, but not as it was defined by the Supreme Court in the 1940s. Right? I don't have time to explain all of that, but uh, th that happened in the schools. Then 1961, it was removed from the schools. All right? So now, we have transitional there. Then in the 1960s, you end up with this free love movement. If it feels good, do it. And that was Timothy Leary, who was a, 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 psychoanal a psychoanalyst, and he's the guy that invented LSD for us, right? If it so let's, this is the guy we want to listen to. Brilliant. If it feels good, do it. Anything goes. Let's get rid of traditional morality. How many of you remember that happening? Some of you are too young, but how many of you remember that? Right? So what happened was you had the extreme. When you come to San Francisco, what are you supposed to wear? Flowers in your hair. And let's all, I'd like to teach the world to sing. And everything's going to get great, right? While the communists are killing everybody. Let's all just come together and hold hands. And let's change our view of morality. Because what's killing people is not communism. What's killing people is religion. Because it's hateful. So then you had the women's movement. And the women's movement wasn't about equal rights for women. It was throwing off traditional morality. It was throwing off traditional morality. I'm not going to say publicly here what the, what the badge of honor for the women's movement was in the 60s, but how many of you know what it was, just so we can, okay? And so what was that? Was that morality or immorality? It was immorality. So now we end up with where we are today. We end up with where we are today. Because back here, if a girl got pregnant out of wedlock, she was found with child out of wedlock, she disappeared from school. You didn't see her anymore. Eventually, somewhere down the road, you'd see her in town somewhere with a child. But that was something that was considered a shame. Is that right? Is that right? Well, if you have free love, you've got to remove the shame. And now we have to have classes at school for girls with babies. Now, a major portion of our children are born outside of wedlock. So what do we have? We have a society that's been transformed to where the traditional is completely gone. It's absent from the society to where now on ABC television, they have show after show after show jamming the gay sodomite lifestyle right down your throat every day. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You're a bigot. You're a bigot. You're hateful. You're a hate monger. You're a homophobe. Right? Now, I always say this. I'm not homophobic. I'm only afraid of him if he's bigger than me and coming at me. That's the only time I'm homophobic. Other than that, it's just a sin. Is that right? It's just a sin. So we move from the transitional, I'm sorry, from the traditional to the transitional, and now society is completely transformed into something that is not even recognizable as the American culture, as a godly culture. Now, how many of you would agree that's where we are? How about let's go to the Bible? Let's go to first, Second Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at what the Bible says. Let me read one thing about radical pluralism. 
Radical pluralism, like relativism, is oxymoronic. That means it's self-contradictory. When pluralism is placed by humanists at the top of the list of American values, non-pluralistic views, those of the Judeo-Christian view, are subjugated to an inferior position. Ranking values as superior and inferior is non-pluralistic. Is that right? So their systems don't work. They don't make sense. It is an alternate reality that is not real, but eventually reality bumps up against your reality. And we're going to see that in the whole world. Now, let's see. This is so. Now, how many of you would agree? Not necessarily with my attitudes or whatever, but how many would you? How many of you would say that I have described our culture accurately? Let's see if God has anything to say about this. Let's see if let's see if I know something that God doesn't. All right. Look at Second uh, Timothy chapter three and verse one. So this is the context to our continue passage. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. So let's just look at that. Lovers of their own selves. All right? Self-love. How many, how many self-hyphenated words are there? Self-esteem, self-love, self-congratulation. Is that right? Self, 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 self. It's all about it. Got to have self-esteem. They love themselves. Can I tell you the, the idea of this? It's so clear. Facebook and YouTube. People love to see themselves and they want other people to see them. Is that right? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. It's all about me. I'll vote myself money. Boasters. Proud. Who are you to talk to me? I'm proud. Nothing, nothing is more revolting than a gay rights parade. They're glorying in wickedness that will destroy their lives. All right? Proud. Blasphemers. What is blasphemy? It's speaking against God. Is that our culture? Blasphemers. Look at this. Disobedient to parents. And I don't have time to get into it. Get the Shaken series. You can go online and download it. Look at the Council of the Ungodly, a foundation of American education, and John Dewey and Francis Potter and... And uh, Horace Mann, they said, we've got to remove children from the authority of their parents or we can never change them. Right? Is that right? Look at this. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Verse 3. Without natural affection. Is there anything more natural than protecting our children? What's unnatural? What's unnatural? Killing them. The Bible talks about the natural use in Romans 1. Even women losing the natural, leaving the natural use of the woman. Homosexuality without natural affection. How about this? Truce breakers. Truce breakers. The, the only way we can come to a one world government is to violate every nation's sovereignty. Truce breakers. What is our guiding document? The Constitution. Has our Constitution been violated? Truce breakers. Look at what it says. False accusers. We are bigots. False accusers. Incontinent. That means no self-control. Fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Is that us? That's our culture. How about this? Traitors. 
again, violating national sovereignty. That, that's what it, you understand that's what a traitor is, right? Traitors. Now, 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 let's step back. I'm not reading this as an American. I'm reading this as a Christian looking at the world. Does it apply to America? But it applies to all of Western culture. All of Western culture. Traitors. Heady, full of themselves. High-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Who are you to tell me that this is wrong? God made me this way. Look at what it says. Having a form of godliness. Everyone's spiritual today, but they're not godly. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. What's the power of godliness? The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Then look at what it says. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. You can't make this up. How are they creeping in? Television. The View. Oprah Winfrey. And what are they doing? They're leading silly women away. Who voted this past election for absolute foolishness? Who voted for it? Who pushed it over the top? Come on, answer the question. Women. Women. They have been confused. They have been led captive by a false system. That's where we are. What the Bible says. Then look at what it says. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Knowledge is doubling every seven years. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist what? What's it say? The truth. The truth. What, how do you resist the truth? By teaching pluralism. By teaching relativism. Again, it's not about what is extreme, it's about what is true. They resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest to all men, as theirs also was. Talking about Janus and Jambres. But thou, look at what it says. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. All right. So now, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How many of you would agree that we've given an accurate, and the Word of God has given an accurate description of the last days? And, and we're seeing it. How many of you, as you read that, things that we had said earlier in the message are just popping into your mind? It's all right there. And you were thinking that I was just making a political speech. God told us what the world would be like. What did He tell us to do in the face of this world? Go down to verse 14. But continue. But continue. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. What did they learn? Go back to verse 9 again. Verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. My doctrine. So what's our foundation? What is doctrine? Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. The modern Bibles all remove the word doctrine from their Bibles. 
54 times it's found in your King James Bible. It's only found five times in the New International Version. They're removing the word doctrine. How are we going to continue in doctrine if we don't even know what it is? That's what our culture has done. It's become relativistic. It's become pluralistic. It's removing people from truth. God's truth in God's words. We've got to know what God says. That's how we're going to know how to continue. Is that right? But look at what else he saw. He said this, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, the manner of life. Look, doesn't matter what you believe if you don't live it. It doesn't matter what you believe if you do not live it. Why do we lose young people? Why do we lose kids? Why do we lose them? Because parents say one thing publicly and live a different way privately. Is that right? Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Continue in the lifestyle that you saw me live. We have a great responsibility, you and me, all of us. We have a great responsibility for how we live out our doctrine in this world. Then, then look at what it says. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, and purpose. What is your purpose? What was Paul's purpose? The glory of God and establishing New Testament churches. Writing the Word of God. That was his purpose. What is our purpose at Grace Baptist Church? Bringing glory to God, preaching the Word, and establishing churches. That's our purpose. That's what we exist for. So here's my question. How does your purpose fit in with the purpose of God in this age? Look, you have businesses, you have jobs, you have lives, you have educations that you are pursuing, but all of that must be in submission to God's plan. Amen? So how does my career, how does my life, how does my education, how does my family fit into God's purpose? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Then look at what it says. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. Look, folks, if we're going to see people come to Christ, be built up in the faith, if we're going to see our children love and serve the Lord, it's going to take some patience. It's going to take some long-suffering. We're going to have to walk with people for a long way. Amen? Even in this room, there are people of all different levels of spiritual maturity, all different levels of commitment. Look, if you're not 100% plugged into what I've just said, we're not going to tell you to get out of here. We're going to say, walk with us for a while. Learn God's Word. See, compare what we're saying to the Word of God. Make Check us out like the Bereans were, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and then searched the Scriptures daily to see whether or not those things were so. Do that. Walk with us for a while. Grow in the Lord and in His purposes for your life. But that's going to take patience, long-suffering. Then it says that also charity and patience. Charity. What is charity? Love that gives. Love that gives. The Apostle Paul said, look, you've seen me. You know that I love you, and you know that I've loved you enough to sacrificially give to you. That's what charity is. Is that right? That's what charity is. Charity is not the government at the point of a gun taking money from you to give to someone who doesn't want to work. That's not charity. That's theft. Charity is me looking at somebody doing the best they can, they need help, and I say, here, let me help you out. Amen? That's what charity is. Charity is loving God enough to fund His work. 
That's charity. That's love that gives. We have to have that. And then patience. Patience, scripturally, is patiently waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to track that down for you, but you, you cross-reference patience in your Bible. And that's what it is. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. And He's coming back soon. Amen. Amen? So what are we supposed to do? Then look at what it says. Patience and persecutions. Persecutions. How do you respond when life gets hard? How do you respond when your faith bumps up against this world system? What do you do? Do you suffer persecution or do you acquiesce to the world? What do we do? We've got to stand. Then look at what it says. Afflictions. Afflictions. His life was hard. He was sick. He had that thorn in the flesh. He was... He was shipwrecked three times. He was beaten with rod five, five time, rods five times. He was, he was beaten with a cat of nine tails. The flesh ripped off his body. He was stoned and left for dead. Those are afflictions. He kept going. He kept going. Then look at what it says. That what persecutions, middle of verse 11, I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That's his testimony. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You might not have afflictions. You might not be beaten. But look, if you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in this culture, you will be persecuted. You might lose a job. Right? You might get kicked out of school. You might have trouble. You might get a lower grade on a paper. You might have trouble. Is that right? God will deliver you. God's faithful. Do we really believe Him? All right, then look at what it says. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now we've gotten to the simple explanation of our culture. How many of you see that we have had evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived? Is this true? Is God's Word true? So what are we supposed to do? What's the next verse? Continue. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. All right, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You say, Pastor, this is the worst motivational speech I have ever heard. Look. We can't know what our purpose is until we know where we are. This world's a mess. This world's a mess. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go to Montana and build a compound. Buy as many guns as we can, stock up food, and just let the world go to hell. Is that what we're supposed to do? No, what are we supposed to do? Continue. Continue. Continue in what? In the things that you've learned. Now look. We learn things just from living. I love the game Trivial Pursuit. How many of you like the game Trivial Pursuit? Raise your hand. How many of you despise the game Trivial Pursuit? Raise your hand. Okay. I had a friend in college who said that I was a wellspring of worthless tidbits of information. And that's true. I would, uh, here, I'll play Trivial Pursuit. When it first came out in the 80s or whatever, I'd play Trivial Pursuit and we'd be playing and I'd answer a question. And somebody would say, how do you know that? And here's what I would say. I don't have any idea. I heard it somewhere. I just picked it up along the way, kind of like a sweater picking up lint. I pick up little bits of information all along the way, and some of it doesn't have anything to do with something else, and I just have all this stuff floating around in my head. 
And people go through life that way. They pick up little bits of information here and there. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about things that have been learned on purpose. The things that you have studied. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You have many of you in this room. You've labored to know God's word. You know these things. What are you supposed to do? Continue in them. Continue in them. How many of you know that you're supposed to serve God? With your life, with your time, with your finances, with everything that you have, you are to serve God. You know that? Is that right? You've learned that. Continue in it. Don't stop. Don't stop. I've seen too many people, they come so far and then they just run out of steam. Continue. Continue. And then look at what this says. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. I know. I'm sure that these things are true. I'm sure that God's Word is true. I'm sure this world is a mess, but I'm sure God's given us the answer. I'm sure that I have a purpose in this life. I'm sure that if I obey God and raise this girl properly, that she'll serve God. I'm sure of that. If I, give back, if I go back now, imagine this. Here's Nick Arlen. He has family, family members that are lost. They're not born again. Imagine, imagine if he just decided, you know what, Christian life's too hard. Uh, I've got other stuff that I need to do. Well, these people that he's been witnessing to for the last 10 years are going to say, I knew it wouldn't last. I knew it wasn't true. So what does Nick need to do? Continue. He needs to continue. If we want our kids, if this stuff is true, if I am assured of the truth of the Word of God, of a holy life, of a soon return of Jesus Christ, and of God's mission for this age, if I'm sure of those things, then I'm going to continue in them because it's worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. I'm going to continue. Then look at what it says. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Look at what it says. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now look, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of self-serving for the Apostle Paul to write. Well, who wrote this? The Holy Spirit of God wrote this. Who did, Paul, who did Timothy learn these things from? Look at the next verse. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. He learned them from Lois and Eunice, his mother and his grandmother. He learned these things from them. How many of you are thankful for godly parents. Thankful for godly parents. Remember who taught you. It, look, they lived it for their whole lives. Remember who taught you. You might be saying, I didn't have godly parents. Then be a godly parent. Be the person that they can look back to and remember. Be that person. But he learned them from his mother and his grandmother, but he also learned these things from the Apostle Paul. From the Apostle Paul, who's demonstrated by his life that these things are true. But ultimately, who do we learn from? The Holy Spirit of God. We've learned these things from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God. How many of you believe in the Word of God and the Spirit of God? Then continue. It's true. Life's going to get hard. I promise you. Life is going to get hard. And I would imagine over the next 10 years it's going to get harder. Life is going to get hard. We need to be assured of some things. And then look at what it says. And that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures, 
which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God has prepared you to do a work. Continue in it. Continue in it. So let's talk about some things that we're going to do here at Grace Baptist Church. Number one, we're going to continue. We're not changing what we're doing. We're going to continue. What's the foundation of Grace Baptist Church going to be? Preaching the Word of God expositionally through the Scriptures. Making disciples, one-on-one, biblical discipleship. Leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not changing any of that. World missions, church planting, all of that is going to stay the same. But if we're going to continue, that means we can't stay where we are. Right? You'll never become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you're coasting, where are you going? Downhill. We're going to climb. We're not going to coast. So in every area, I had thought about making a whole list of things we're going to do, but that would just be overwhelming. What we're going to do is this. We're going to continue. So through this year, we're going to be introducing the next step in every area of our ministry. We're going to be redoing our discipleship ministry. We're going to be redoing our outreach. We're going to be redoing everything. We're going to be ramping up our Awana ministry. We're going to be ramping up our teaching. Every area. Now look, somebody, somebody like you, some of you Awana people are going, oh no, I can't do anymore. No, 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 no. We're just going to take that next biblical and logical step in each of these areas of ministry, continuing, moving ahead, striving together for the sake of the gospel. Amen? That's what we're going to do. It's, it's like this. God has called me to preach the Word of God. So now let me ask you a question. How many of you can tell that, that that's obvious, that that's what God wants me to do? That's, that's my calling. That's what God has made me to do. God did not make me a doctor. I would pass out. Okay? God did not make me to do that. I don't have the mind of a Dr. Ree or a Dr. Edwards. I don't have that kind of mind. God gifted them to do that. He didn't make me to do that. He made me to preach the gospel. He made me to be able to learn these things and teach them and help someone else. My job is to do the ministry of the gospel. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue traveling the country, possibly the world, preaching the gospel while pastoring and administrating this New Testament church. I'm going to continue. Amen? Uh, I'm not gone a lot from church services. I think I'll miss four Sunday services this week preaching out. That's, that's not too much. But that's what I'm doing. Uh, the last Sunday of this month, I'm going to be preaching. What am I doing? I'm going to New York to teach a church biblical discipleship. One-on-one, biblical, step-by-step, biblical discipleship. We're going to take our discipleship ministry to New York State the same way that it was brought to here. That's what we're going to do. What are we doing? We're going to continue. We're going to continue. In February, I'm driving to Hannibal, Missouri. Who's from Hannibal, Missouri? Mark Twain, yeah. I'm going to go to Hannibal, Missouri. The Hannibal Baptist Church is there. This young man has started a church. He's working full-time delivering pizzas. Starting a church, he called me and wanted to try and find a way to to learn discipleship. He was going to drive here all night, stay here for a day, and then drive home all night and preach that next day so that he could learn discipleship. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive out on a Monday. I'm going to teach him Monday night after work. I'm going to teach him Tuesday night after work. Wednesday morning, I'll drive home and teach here on Wednesday night 
Bible doctrines here at Grace Baptist Church. What are we doing? We're continuing. We're going to continue. Amen? We're going to continue. I'm going to go out to Washington State. I'm going to preach on Baptist doctrine and distinctives. We're going to go to Washington. Later on, I don't know where I am this, this, this year. I'm all over the country this year. What are we doing? We're continuing in what we're doing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You are going to study God's Word better. You're going to do more than just read it. You're going to study it. You're going to compare it. You're going to rightly divide it. You're going to learn some things and build up a reservoir of knowledge so that when someone asks you a question, you're ready to give an answer of the hope that's in you in meekness and fear. You're going to take that next step in understanding of the Word of God. You're going to take that next step in requiring something of your children. You're going to expect them to know and understand the Word of God. Why? Because like Timothy had learned some things and had been assured of some things, I want to make sure that Jacob has learned some things and is sure of them. I want to make sure that Lydia knows some things. She's learned them on purpose and has been assured of those things. Why? So she can continue in them. Look, we can no longer be passive Christians in America. The days of going to church and going home because the culture's okay, they're gone. If we're going to continue, it's got to be on purpose. That's why Paul said in the passage, you know my purpose. What is your purpose? Obedience to the Word of God. What are you going to do in your next step? Continuing for the Lord. How many of you, God's already put something in your mind? Would you raise your hand? God's already put something in your mind that you know God wants you to do. If He hasn't, pray about it. Open His Word. Pray about it. God will help you take the next step. What are some next steps that He might want you to take? He might want you to get involved in outreach. Hanging door knockers. Not door knockers, Jake. I called it that yesterday. He laughed at me. Door hangers. Hanging door hangers. That might be the next step. You might not have done that. Your next step might be to actually give somebody the gospel, verbalize the gospel to someone. That might be your next step. Your next step might be you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. You've never followed the Lord and believers' baptism. Your next step might be join the church, become a member of Grace Baptist Church. Say, you know what? I'm going to get in here with my life. I'm going to put my name in with the people that are members of Grace Baptist Church, and I'm going to contribute financially. I'm going to give my time, my talent, my treasure to advance the kingdom of God in Sydney, Ohio, through Grace Baptist Church. That might be your next step. Your next step might be, I'm a member, but I've not been active in discipleship. I need to be discipled or I need to be trained to disciple somebody else. What is the next step that God wants you to take? What is it? For me, for me, there are some things that I want to memorize. I want to know God's plan for the age in my memory. I want to know when God describes what the world will be like in the millennium. I want to have that in my mind. I want to know immediately where those verses are so I can talk to people about that. I want to have those things memorized. I want to know those things. There are specific passages of Scripture that I want to commit to memory. I don't want to just rely on the Scriptures that I've memorized in the past. I want to continue to grow in the Lord and the knowledge of His Word. What what does God want you to do? What does God want you to continue in? Your next step might be, I'm going to start coming to church on Sunday nights. I'm going to come and find out what God has for us in another service. The Bible says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much the more as we see the day approach. Jesus Christ is coming back. We need to come together more, not less. Your next step might be coming to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night, getting involved in an adult class. In my class downstairs, we have question and answer. We interact. We have great friendships, great relationships. You need to get involved. 
You need to reach out to somebody. What is your next step? Or are you just content to coast? Are you content? If that's where you are, hey, we'll take you where you are. We love you. We want you to be here. But whatever your next step is, I hope God challenges you to do that. Why? So we can continue. Let's look at our text and we'll be done. 2 Timothy 3.14 But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Let's just continue. Amen? Let's continue. Thank you, Lord, for your word.